Amen. That was a blessing. Turn your Bibles, please, to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. I'm glad to be here with you today. You know, Brother Wally told me I was going to be up to preach at 1117. It is 1122. I I, I want you to get better on your time. 1117 was pretty specific. So I was actually preaching at at a meeting last Wednesday, a preacher's fellowship down in Georgia, and they told me that I needed to be done at 752. I thought, what is this, Delta Airlines? What is this? Uh, But anyway, it worked out pretty good. Well, I'm glad to be here. Glad to be back at Bible Baptist Church. Last time I was here, I brought a pandemic with me. And so I came early 2020. I remember uh, we didn't know what was going on. Your phone is ringing off the hook. Uh, My wife called and said, hey, uh, they just canceled school, like, like totally canceled school. I said, well, come on, let's go. And so she came down and brought the kids with her and you know, people thought that was crazy. We didn't know what was going on. My staff's calling me. What do we do? Do we cancel services? You guys were worried about that. And that was the last time I was here. And so let's pray that this meeting yields better things than that. All right? And, uh, but again, I'm glad. Congratulations on your new auditorium. It's beautiful. And I've been praying for you and praying for this building. And so I'm so glad that you are able to be in it. Uh, man, you got a lot of leg room here. That's fantastic. And you can, you can walk up and down the aisles, shake hands without tripping over each other. Uh, that's, a, that's just wonderful. And I'm, I'm glad to see what the Lord has done here uh, in Fairfield and uh, glad that we could have uh, such a small part in it. Um, but I'll still remember when Brother Wally called me and said, hey, I think I'm going to plant a church. And uh, would you want to help? I said, absolutely. No question in my mind. Didn't even have to think about it. And I'd just like to remind him I have more pastoral experience than he does. I just can, can remind him of that. Uh, but I love your pastor. I hope you love him too. I love your pastor very much. I'm so proud of him. Earlier here in uh, February, he came down. We were hosting the Global Independent Baptist Fellowship at our church, and I wanted him to come preach for us. And I know he was nervous to do that, uh, but I wanted my friends to meet my friend. And you would have been so proud of your pastor. He preached an amazing message. It was an encouragement to pastors all over this country. And I'm just glad how God has used him here, how God has used him in my life how God used him in that meeting, and I just love your pastor. He's my counselor, and in many ways, I consider him my pastor. He's my mentor, and he's my friend. Thank you for letting me be here. John chapter 1. I don't know what your typical habit is, but I like to stand when we read the Bible. Just It's an amazing book, so let's stand together. And uh, how many love the Bible? Okay, good. I'm glad you love the Bible. You, you should. It's called Bible Baptist Church. I mean, if you don't love the Bible, you might want to Find Grace Baptist Church where you love grace or something. I don't know, but it's a Bible. And it's an amazing book. It is a wonderful book, and it'll change your life if you let it. And so let's begin reading. I'll not waste any more time. Let's just jump right into it. John chapter 1, begin reading in verse 35. It says, and again, the next day after John. Now, this is referring to John the Baptist. The next day after John stood and two of his disciples, remember there were followers and learners of John the Baptist, And looking upon Jesus as he walked, so I get the impression that John's out there ministering and Jesus seems, it says as he walked, maybe he was leaving the meeting, I don't know if he was just kind of passing by, but John kind of singles them out and says, behold the Lamb of God. And remember what's going to happen here is what John said would happen in John 3 verse 30, he must increase and I must decrease, because you'll notice that his disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. So they left John's ministry and jumped on Jesus' ministry. Now that's what was supposed to happen, and John was okay with that. 
It says in verse 38, And Jesus turned and saw them following and said unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? Now that seems like an unusual question. I get the idea that they were saying, you know, we've got a lot of questions and we want to talk to you. If you don't have as much time, we can just come by your house later. And Jesus says, well, come and see. And they came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted to Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip, and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew, and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him. Do you, did you notice there's a lot of finding going on there? We'll talk about that in a bit. It says, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and of the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, can, there be any, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith to him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile. Nathanael said unto him, whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, before that Philip called thee when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the son of God. Thou art the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. How many would agree that he did see some pretty amazing things? Yeah. And he said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. He was making reference to Jacob's ladder. He said, You're looking at the bridge between God and man right in front of your face. I want to preach to you this morning about same Christ, different converts. Same Christ, different converts. And look, if we're going to be revived this week, there are some of you, you can't be revived because you've never been regenerated. You've never been reborn. So today I want you to get saved if you've never been saved. For those of you that are saved, you need to be revived. You need to be happy that you are saved. And that would be a great start to our revival meeting if we could re realize that today. So let's talk about it. Heavenly Father, fill me with thy spirit. Help me to minister to your people the way you would want me to. And I pray that you would be exalted. And I do pray if somebody's here and they're not saved, they trust you today. And I do pray we leave this service excited about the fact that you saved us. Oh, we're different converts, but we worship the same Christ. And I pray you'd help us with that today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for standing so long. You may be seated. We're living in an interesting day of ministry, aren't we? I know at our church, I would imagine this church is no different. We do run back uh, background checks if we hire somebody. Uh, you got to run a background check on somebody you hire in our church. Our ministry, we have just a little under 50 employees in our ministry, and so we run background checks on everybody. Uh, we run background checks on anybody who serves in the nursery, serves in children's ministries. We run background checks. I would imagine you do something similar to that here. Could you imagine if you ran background check on uh, the 12 disciples? Uh, I did not come up with this, but somebody did. I thought this was pretty, pretty clever. Uh, if you had done a background check, got some references and things like that, here's what may have come back to you. Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. That's probably a pretty good uh, assessment of old Pete. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that could undermine morale. Matthew, or Levi, has been blacklisted by the Capernaum Better Business Bureau. James and Thaddeus definitely have radical leanings, 
and they both registered a high score on the manic depressive scale. Simon is a zealot with terrorist tendencies and is always looking for ways to attack and annihilate Romans. One of the candidates, however, shows a great potential. He is a man of high ability and resourcefulness. He is outgoing, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We would recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. That sounds pretty accurate on the assessment of, uh, humanly speaking, of the 12 uh, disciples that we call. You know, it's interesting to me, from our perspective, the gospel and the establishment of the church rested on 12 men whose greatest characteristic was that they were ordinary. That's why the book of Acts says, and these are they, these are they that turned the world upside down. I mean, these guys. In fact, if you'll notice in the, in the gospels, they commonly refer to them as the 12. Whenever I read that, I like that. Just circle that, mark that, the 12. Kind of sounds like the Magnificent Seven or something like that, you know? Uh, the 12. And really, they were just normal, ordinary people who were prone to mistakes. They were prone to misstatements. They were prone to bad attitudes. Anybody ever had one of those? Anybody have one right now? Okay, I get it. I understand. Sometimes we wake up. Sometimes we don't even know why we're mad. We're just mad, you know? And, and uh, we're prone to these kind of things. They were prone to lapses of faith. I mean, these were the ones that saw Jesus walk on the wall. They saw him feed 5,000, and yet they too were prone to lapses of faith. They are living proof to us that God's strength is made perfect in weakness. Aren't you thankful for that? Jesus spent most of his ministry pouring his life into lives of a dozen dysfunctional disappointments. I like that because that means I have hope. For three and a half years, Jesus would pour his life into these guys. He would teach them things. And as soon as he was done teaching, they would, they would contradict his teaching. <laughs> you guys listen to anything I'm saying? It sounds like modern day pastoring. I don't know about you. I can announce something for a month and get a text the day before. What time is that thing? Jesus, I'm sure, was frustrated on many occasions. We come to John chapter 1, it's kind of the beginning of all of that, and a careful look of this particular passage, or really if you study the gospel records, you'll find that Jesus took some time assembling his team. I think, I, I'm very thankful for the chapter and verse divisions of the Bible, otherwise we would all have a hard time. But, but, the, but the truth is, is sometimes those chapter divisions, we just go from one chapter to the next, and we don't realize that there were months, there were weeks, there were sometimes years of time in between those segments, and and, and it, it, it's hard for us sometimes to read the Bible without a, an accurate understanding. And so I think sometimes when we read the Bible, we just kind of think that Jesus, he walked up and he, he called these guys and they followed him and then they were on their merry way. But the truth is, is it took weeks, it took time, it, it took months in, in, a, in cases to build his team. And so what we're going to see is if you study the Gospels in John chapter one, I believe this is where these guys got saved. You understand they had to come to Jesus to get saved the same way you did. It's not like Jesus just showed up and said, follow me. And they said, oh, it's the Messiah. And they followed him that day and then they were on their merry way. They, they had to get to know him. They had to come to him. They had to put their faith in him. They had questions of him. And, and like many of you, some of you got saved the first time you heard the gospel. Praise God for that. Some of you got saved because you thought about it for a long time. Maybe you came for months to services and you listened and listened and mewled on it. And finally you got saved. Well, th th these men were no different. And so in John chapter 1, I believe is where these men came to faith in Jesus Christ. They got saved. 
If you go and look in Luke chapter 5, I believe in Luke chapter 5 is where Jesus said, hey, listen, I want you to be a special disciple. I want you to follow me. I want you to be a part of my ministry. And so we could say it that way. That's when they were called to the ministry. I got called to preach when I was 17 years of age. And that's what I use as my life verse, 1 Timothy 1 and verse 12. I'm glad that God counted me faithful and put me in the ministry. There was a time when God saved me in June of 1984, but there was a time that God called me into the ministry. That's what you see in Luke chapter 5. I also believe in Luke chapter 6, that's when he commissioned them as apostles. And so there were stages in their, in their life and their ministry where he was bringing them along. Now, I want to point something out to you because we're talking about when you got saved. So look, look with me, if you will, in verse 39. He saith unto them, come and see. And they came. This is where they went to his house. And all oh, wouldn't you have loved to have been a fly on that wall? I mean, man, these guys, uh, some of the future church leaders and apostles of the first century church are sitting, I would imagine, with some kind of tent-like structure, because remember, the Bible says that he didn't have, Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head. Foxes had their holes and birds had their nests, but Jesus didn't have any. And so maybe he had this like tent-like mobile structure, and he said, come, this is, where I'm, this is where I'm hanging out. And for hours, they just sat there and they asked questions and they talked, oh, I would have loved to have been in there. But here we see that John says something interesting as he's writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, they came and saw where he dwelt in a bow with him. And what's interesting, he says, that day, for it was about the 10th hour. You know what John is saying there? I think John's saying something really interesting. He said, I'll never forget the day and I'll never forget the time where I met Jesus. Listen, folks, I, I don't want to, I understand who I'm talking to, a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds and experiences and so forth. Uh, I got saved in June of 1984. You know why I say that? Because I don't remember exactly what day it was. I don't remember if it was June 7th or June 6th or June 15th. I, I, I don't know when it was. I know it was June of 1984. You say, how do you know that? Uh, well, I was there for one. Number two, there's a big old family Bible that's got, the, got it written in there somewhere, and so that's why I know that's when I got saved. But I, I love the fact that John is saying here, I want to tell you right now, I remember the day. I remember the hour. I know where I was at. I know what I was wearing. I, I know about it. Like, look, I've grown up in church all my life, and I've seen some fun things. You, you ever been to a revival meeting? And, and they'll do some, I, I think it's a little cheesy, to be honest with you. I wouldn't do it at my church, but, you know, hey, to each his own. But you ever been in old-timey play, and they, they would start singing that song, Somebody Touched Me, Somebody Touched Me. And then we'd get, you know, they would go, It was on a Sunday, Somebody Touched Me. And if you got saved on a Sunday, you were supposed to stand up. And then, then they would sing, It was on a Monday. And if you got saved on a Monday, you were supposed to stand. And then the poor people like me don't know what day of the week it was. You just kind of, you don't want them to think you're not saved, so you don't sit down, so you just stand up. I got saved every day, you know? I don't know what it is, right? But I just love how John says, I, I remember. I remember when I got saved. I remember when I met the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to turn our attention to this text. I'm not trying to say to you this morning that if you don't remember the day and the hour that you're not saved. I'm not saying that. But I will say this, that everybody in here that's saved ought to say a big amen to what John said, that I've never forgotten it. I may not know if it was a Tuesday, and I may not know exactly the calendar date of the year, but I have never forgotten that I've been born again. And uh, the truth of the matter is, is that's why we need a little bit of a concentration of revival meetings is because sometimes we get over it. Sometimes we just kind of have forgotten that we've been purged of our old sins. And so I want to preach to you this morning about three different ways people come to Christ. Because if you, haven't, if you haven't come to Him, you can today. And if you have come to Him, you can rejoice in the way that you got saved. And I believe, I, I really believe this, this is a purposely chosen message for this morning, is if everybody in this room... We'll just get a little bit excited. I mean, I'm just, just a little bit more than you are this morning about being saved. I think you'd probably come back to, to, tonight 
and tomorrow night and Tuesday night and Wednesday night, and you leave here impacted and influenced for the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and that's what we want. I didn't bring revival with me in my suitcase. And, and I'm thankful that you have me come every other year or so, so forth. But, but the truth of the matter is, is we're not just having a meeting here to have a meeting. If that was the case, I, I, look, I, I'd rather just stay home, honestly. I like it there. I like it here, but I, I like it there. But, but we want to do something uh, revivalistic here. We want, we want to leave here impacted for the glory of Jesus Christ. So let's rejoice in the fact that we've been born again. Number one, i got to hurry. Three different ways people come to Christ. Number one, some people come to Christ through the preacher's message. If you see in verses 35 through 40, it's focusing on the ministry of John the Baptist. Oh, wouldn't you have loved to hear John the Baptist preach? I would have. I, I, when you think of John the Baptist, you, you think of some soft soap, soft hands, uh, you know, effeminate kind of preacher, just spreading love and joy and peace to everyone. Do you think about that? Do you think about that when you think of John the Baptist? I don't. I think that camel skin, I mean, I don't know what a camel skin garment looked like, but I guarantee you didn't buy it at Dillard's. Said he had a big old leather belt. He's dipping bugs in honey. I mean, that guy was a little on the crazy side. But I think that's why people love to come hear him. I mean, he's out there. I mean, he's kind of out in the wilderness. And boy, he's preaching. Repent! I mean, he's, he's just really laying it on and laying it on thick. And, and Andrew and John, they were already followers of John the Baptist. And, and, and John is preaching this message of repentance. Get your heart right because somebody's coming on the scene that you're going to want to hear from. It's not me. I must, I must decrease. My ministry needs to go away. I'm just the voice of one crying in the wilderness. I'm trying to point the straight ways to him. You get your heart right so that you recognize him when he comes. Because I'm telling you, I can hear him preaching. There are some of you here, you won't get your heart right, and you won't recognize him when he comes. And I'm telling you, they were. They looked right at him, and there's the, 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 the one that they've been waiting for, and they didn't even know it was him. But had they listened to John, they would have got it, got it straight. But John was preaching that. And he was preaching about this one who would come along and he would change everything. Now, wouldn't you like to have been in the crowd that first day when Jesus came? Now, I want you to think about it for just a moment. John, I think, kind of gets, he's preaching this message of repentance and, and he just looks up and there's Jesus. And it was as if, the, if God said, hey, okay, here's the green light, identify him, identify him. And John gives those famous words, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Now, now hold on a second. You have to understand that everything that you've seen in Sunday school literature and paintings, that's, that's not exactly the way it rolled in the first century. So, so what do you mean? I don't believe Jesus was wearing a white robe. Why is he always wearing a white robe with a blue sash? Why is it not green, yellow, red? I mean, it's always blue. And he always has his hands like this. I mean, just one standing by the river and had a little halo over his head and a blue sash and going, behold, the Lamb of God. No, no, no. He, somebody help me out, church. What did he do for a living? He's a carpenter. So, so I don't know what a first century carpenter looked like. I know what, what one today. I'm imagining a plaid shirt, some Carhartt pants, some work boots, and a leather belt with a hammer on it. Now, now, I can see, look, look, come on now. He's, John's preaching, he says, hey, behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. And everybody turns their, I mean, you're going to want to look, right? I mean, so they turn, they look at him. Uh, John said, look, look, there he is, there he is. Everybody turns and looks, and they, say, they see a guy that looks like he's going to remodel their house, not save the world. But John's preaching. And, and, and John, what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is John the Baptist's preaching pointed them to Jesus. We didn't read it in our text, but if you were to go back to verse 29, you're going to find it was the same sermon. 
He just kept preaching, behold the Lamb of God, behold the Lamb of God. And, and, and by the way, I like that because if a message wasn't worth preaching a second time, it wasn't worth preaching the first time. And so I love this about John. He, he's, he's preaching, and, and he's preaching that Lamb of God message that he had, and, and he's pointing people to Jesus. And the results of John the Baptist preaching are the same results that they are today. Think about it. There are some people, when you preach, and you preach the gospel, you preach the truth, they're going to reject your message. There are a lot of people who rejected Jesus or John's message. Now, now, now think about it. Uh, some of those preachers got to get over that. I know sometimes it hurts my feelings. I remember one time uh, somebody visited our church, and I try and visit, everybody visits us, and I went in their living room, and I said, I'm so glad you came. And the lady, she's kind of bristled at me, and she looked at me, and she said, well, it was not exactly what I expected. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, like, you, you have to be ready and willing that somebody's going to reject your message. They rejected John's, they rejected Jesus, they rejected any gospel preacher. There were other people that they recognized the message, but they didn't really receive the message. You know, they just kind of went out there to see what was going on. Uh, sometimes that's what people do. There's a big crowd. What's going on? I want to go check it out. Hey, have you heard there's some crazy fool out there by the Jordan River? I want to go see this guy. I want to hear what he's got to say. And they would go out and they would recognize, okay, something interesting is going on here, but they didn't necessarily receive his message. But you also know that there were a lot of people that did receive the message. They were truly touched by what he was preaching. And, and again, I'm just trying to encourage the preachers and ministers in this room, regardless of the response, aren't you thankful that John just kept preaching, behold the Lamb of God, behold the Lamb of God. If they liked it or they didn't like it, they liked it or they lumped it, they received it or they rejected it, it didn't matter. He just kept preaching, behold the Lamb of God. I think that's a good, good word for us, isn't it? Just, just keep preaching. Oh, you know what's going on in this world? It's crazy out there. Okay, well, I'm just going to keep preaching the truth. How about that? I guess the application I'm trying to make, and I'll get out of the way here on this, but I'm so thankful for the preachers in my life that proclaim the truth to me. Man, I think about the church I used to pastor in North Carolina. There was a famous evangelist. Some of you in this room might know. How many of you ever heard the name Oliver B. Green? How many of you heard that name before? Several of you had. Aubrey Green impacted that, that, that town. He would come in there back in the 60s. I mean, Aubrey Green was a preacher. Boy, he was on the radio. He published books. He would come into that town. He would preach. He had, his name was Aubrey Green, and so he had a big green tent. And he'd come in and he'd preach in that green tent in those days. And there were people in my church that got saved when Aubrey Green preached. I, I would knock doors. I believe in, in going out in the community, and I'd knock on doors, and I'd talk to people. I'd say, you saved? They'd say, yeah, I'm saved. I got saved. They would say to me, you ever heard a preacher named Oliver B. Green? I said, oh, yeah. He said, I, he's in a tent meeting. I got saved. I heard that all the time. I'm thankful for men like that. You ever read about Billy Sunday? They say over a million people walked what they called the sawdust trail to shake his hand because they trusted Christ because he was preaching. Let's, let's not lose some of the, uh, the influence of the preachers of the past generation. I mean, remember the name R.G. Lee. Payday someday. You can still get on the internet and listen to that sermon. This church I pastored, he preached that sermon in our church, in our pulpit, many times over the years. I think of people like uh, uh, J. Harold Smith, and you can debate the theology of his message, but God's three deadlines, there's no telling how many people got saved because they heard that message. As I just rattled off some very, very famous and familiar preachers, but the truth of the matter is, is a man was preaching the gospel when I got saved. His name was Don Short. Don Short was not short. He was six foot six. This is back in the 80s when white men permed their hair, so he's about six foot eight. Man, I looked at him, I thought, oh boy, I, I mean, when you're a little boy, you see a tall guy like that, man, I love him. You know, when, when, you, when you hear, see tall people, I don't know, you just all automatically ask him, do they play basketball? He didn't like that, I guess, because I heard him one time, somebody said, do you play basketball? He looked at him and said, do you play miniature golf? 
Most of you in this room, maybe outside of my own family, never even heard of Don Short. Maybe you heard of Don Short because you heard me give my testimony before. I don't know. Most people never heard of him. But I don't know what, I, what I'm saying this morning is, I'm so thankful he preached the gospel. I'm so thankful for every preacher that's preaching the gospel. Because the truth of the matter is, it's not about the preacher and his ability to communicate, although God sometimes uses somebody's articulation and somebody's ability and skill in order to do that. But the truth of the matter is, is to become a Christian, you don't have to hear a particular preacher preach. You just have to become aware that you are a sinner in the sight of a holy God and that all of your good works can never atone for any of your sins. And you can never work your way to heaven by your good deeds. And and you need to understand that God did not sacrifice His own dear Son as an example so that basically good people could learn how to live even better. No, no, no. God gave His Son to save sinners who cannot save themselves on their own. And I'm thankful for every preacher that's ever stood behind any pulpit and preached that heaven is sweet and hell is hot and that sinners must be saved. And the only way to be saved is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm thankful for any preacher that's ever preached that message. And friend, I know this morning that I'm preaching to scores of people that are sitting here and you're saying, oh yeah, yeah, I remember. Brother Wally was preaching and I got saved. Brother Preston Richardson was preaching and you got saved. There were other preachers that preached the gospel that impacted your life. And you notice here that John the Baptist was a gospel preacher. And there were people like John and like Andrew, as a result of his preaching, were turned to Jesus. And friend, I'm just telling you this morning, it'd be a good thing. It'd be a good humbling thing. Because revival never comes until there's a humbling of God's people. It'd be a humbling thing to kneel in an altar and just say, God, I want to thank you for a man who was willing to preach the gospel. Some of you are sitting here saying, well, that's, that's great, preacher, but I didn't get saved in a church service when a guy was preaching and gave an invitation. Well, there's another way people get saved. Look at our text. Some people come to Christ through personal ministry. Mark it in your Bible. Verse 41. He first findeth his own brother, Simon, and brings him to Jesus. Notice in verse 45, Philip findeth Nathanael and says, hey, we found the Messiah. You see, Andrew basically did what is the most effective way for anyone to find out about Jesus. He told his friends and his family about him. You know, I believe in programs. Our church, boy, we pass out flyers. We get out in the community. We have different events and things, and the idea is to get people to hear the gospel. But the truth of the matter is, is nothing ever works and nothing will ever work when you find somebody you know and telling them what's happened to you. And that's exactly what happened in this text. You know, it's very natural to tell people what you have found. How many of you are old enough like me, and you remember, remember when grandmas used to have their billfolds, and they had those... Um, Things that they put pictures of their grandkids in, those little plastic things, and they were like an accordion. And what if I ever showed you a picture of my grandkids? I, I, I like, you, you know, I, I, I'm more like Winston Churchill. Somebody said that. Have I ever told you about my grandkids? And he said, no, sir, and I thank you for it. <laughs> but anyway, but they would show you a picture, and it would come out of an accordion like this. And when, well, now grandmas are armed with phones. My mom was just telling me about one of her neighbors that had a new grandbaby and went door to door with the baby. To me, I would want to just be able to speak truth in that moment. Ma'am, we've all seen a baby. Go home. But anyway, I'm just, anyway, that's me. But it really is natural to tell people what you found. The problem is most church members see themselves as the mission of the church. But I want to remind you this morning, you are not the mission of the church. You are the missionary of the church. Yeah. 
See, most people come to church and they say, oh, like, I like this here. They got a lot of people my age. I like it here. These are comfortable chairs. I like it here. It's a very clean building. I like it here. They have a lot, a lot of restrooms here. I like it here. There's a lot of programs. They got teen stuff and kids stuff. They got junior church. I like it here. But I've literally, I literally had somebody one time said, such and such church does this for me. What are you going to do for me? And they literally said that to me. I said, well, I'll preach a Bible to you, but I'm not driving you to the grocery store or whatever. I mean, I get... Anyway. I think we've gotten it backwards in a lot of ways. We think we're here to be served. And I wanted to tell you, it's our privilege to tell other people of the Savior that we've found. Can I just help you, church? You do not need permission to share Jesus with somebody else. He's already given it to you. He said, all authority is given unto me. So go ye in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You know what that says? You can't give the gospel to the wrong person. You don't need permission. You don't need college training. You don't. I hope that I've gotten some training when I called to preach. One of our assistant pastors said, you need to go and you need to sharpen the tools that God's already given you. And I'm thankful for that advice. I've shared that advice with other people. But the truth of the matter is, is if you're a sinner that's been saved, all you need to do is find some other sinner and tell them how to become a saved sinner. That's, that's all there is to it. You don't need college training for that. You just need to know Him. And I wonder if maybe the reason many people don't tell others is because they have nothing to tell. I'll tell you a little fictitious story just to try and illustrate it and we'll move on. During the time of the Civil War, there was an old farmer and he, he volunteered for the Confederate, Confederate Army, and he's just an old farmer, he's old, too, too old to be in the Army, and he showed up with a, with a, with a little tiny uh, squirrel rifle. And uh, so they went into a battle, and they were charging this scene, and man, they were overwhelmed by the Union, Union Army, and, and everybody retreated and turned back, and he was kind of left on his own, but he kept pursuing, and he just went on out in the, the woods, and man, they, they all turned back and, and ran, and and they thought he was gone. I mean, he was gone. But, but several hours later, here he come over the hill, and he had that little squirrel rifle, and he was poking this Union soldier in the back, telling him to move on. Came back into the camp, and he said, well, we thought you were dead. He said, yeah, thanks a lot. You guys all turn tail and run. I'm an old man. I got a squirrel rifle. What's wrong with you? And they said, well, I mean, the battle was lost. We, we took off. He said, man, I didn't. And they said, well, where'd you get this soldier? He said, listen here. He said, the woods are full of them. Why don't you go out there and get you one? Well, listen, I think it's a great illustration. Do, do you understand the woods are full of them? The world is full of them? Do you understand? Sometimes we sit around. Come on now. This is a Baptist church, right? We sit around on our hands like this. This world's so bad. I mean, I saw a church somewhere, and they, they just having drag queens come in there and dance in their church. Can you believe what's happening in this world? I mean, our president, don't even get me started. And we sit here like this, don't we? And I've heard you say it, Brother Wally, the only way we're going to change this world is for more people to get saved. And we know where the bread is. We know where the food is. We know where the hope is. And we sit here and we complain. Truth of the matter is, if some of you are in this room and you got saved because somebody cared enough to come knock on your door. Because some preacher 
you visited one time and they came and they sat in your living room. Some bus worker came by and said, hey, what are you doing? You want to ride a bus, come to Sunday school? Some kid in, in your school said, hey, we're having a lock-in. You want to come to that? And you came to play basketball and instead you got the gospel. You understand the personal ministry side of things is God's way and God's method and should never be changed. Oh, I've got to hurry. Number three, aren't you thankful for this? Some people come to Christ through a providential method. Look at verse 43. The day following, Jesus would go forth in Galilee and he findeth Philip and saith unto him, follow me. You notice this? Nobody preached to Philip. None of his friends said, hey, come. Jesus, Jesus providentially found him and brought him to himself. Man, I love that. I love that. You see, that verse reinforces a truth that you might already know. Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus was doing that. And this verse teaches us that God has not reached the end of His resources, even though preachers might be unfaithful to their calling and individuals are too apathetic or too busy or too careless to share the faith with other people. What it's saying to us is even though our humanity has limitations, maybe they won't come and hear a preacher. Maybe you invite them to this meeting and they, they won't come. Or maybe, they, maybe you've knocked on their door and you've tried to talk to them and they won't receive your witness. I want to encourage you this morning. God is not bound He can still save. I'll share with you a couple of stories and I'll, I'll, I'll be done. Uh, There's a guy I, uh, in church I pastored in North Carolina. I was talking to him. I said, brother, why don't you? He, he had a real burden for souls. He's a personal evangelist in, in, in every sense of the way. Just a good man. Worked in a factory. I said, brother, how'd you get saved? He said, oh, let me tell you how I got saved. He said, my mom was a real devout Christian. She loved the Lord. He said, but I never caught that. He said, I didn't really want anything to do with it. I thought it was weird. She went to church all the time. She always talked about Jesus, listened to it on the radio, reading her Bible. He said, I don't want to do with that. He said, and I grew up and I, I, I went on my own way and did my own thing. I became a man. I was an adult doing my own thing. And, and she would always pray for me. She'd always witness to me. She'd always talk to me. And I just, I didn't want to hear it. He said, but you know, one day through a series of events in my life, God, he goes, I didn't realize it, but God was kind of breaking me down. He said, I was on break at work, worked in a factory. And he said, I went to the bathroom. Now, I know this is church, but just, just stay with me. He said, I went to the bathroom, and I went in the stall, and I was answering nature's call. This, he's just t- telling me his testimony, okay? He said, and I went to pull the toilet paper roll, and when I did, out, somebody had stuck in the toilet paper a gospel track. When I pulled the toilet paper, the track came out, and he said, you know, he's just in there. I didn't have any reading material. So I read that track, and I thought about my mom. I thought about how she prayed for me, and how she witnessed to me, and how she talked to me about Jesus. And I read the gospel in that track, and I fell under conviction, and I got saved. Now, I don't know too many people got saved in a bathroom stall. But I, how many of you would agree with me this morning? That's uh, some supernatural providence right there. Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you one more story. I was reading a book, and the guy was telling a story in a book, and it kind of changed my thinking a little bit. Uh, the guy was more of a neo-evangelical. He was not like our flavor of Christianity, but he was a believer, and he wrote a book. And the book was good. It was helpful. And he was talking about how he would go on campuses, the man that wrote the book, would go on campuses and kind of debate people who were not believers and et cetera. And he found himself at an Ivy League school. 
I mean, you understand when you think Ivy League. He didn't say which one it was, but I think Harvard, I think Yale, Princeton, um, Brown. You know, some of these Ivy League schools that were started really in many ways as divinity schools, training preachers to preach the gospel. But now today, they wouldn't let God enroll even if he paid his own tuition. And so he's, he, he said he was on campus doing some debating, and he was at a luncheon with one of the professors, and he got to talking to the professor, and the professor said he was a believer. And he said, so I was very curious, I was very interested in how he became to be a believer because you know, didn't expect to find too many on faculty at these Ivy League schools. So, so the guy said, well, let me tell you my testimony. He said, I was, grew up in a Christian environment, but I didn't take to it. He said, in fact, as I got more educated and higher learning, I, th- I became an atheist. And I was an angry atheist. Denounced God. Blasphemed God. He said, but one day I was watching the Super Bowl. He said, I was watching the Super Bowl. They were kicking an extra point. And, and he looked back, and how many of you remember those guys that used to do that? They'd get a big, big poster board, and they put John 3.16. Uh, uh, they might wear a rainbow wig, or it might just be a normal guy, and they got that sign. And while you're kicking a field goal or something, they're, they're doing this. How, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Now, now, this is what changed my thinking, Brother Wally, is usually those guys I think are nuts. Like, what are you doing? I mean, like, like you, you see the guy on the corner, he's got a megaphone, he's got a sandwich board, and this is like, repent or burn. And like, there's a guy in our town, he, the, the, he says, like, you know, repent and uh, break your TV or something like that. And you're like, and he's just out there with a megaphone. And you can't understand what he's saying. And you're thinking like, you're an embarrassment to Jesus. And, and, come on now. Anybody else feel that way sometimes? You're like, stop that. This guy said, I saw that guy holding that sign. He said, my mom had passed away. And so I went and I got our family Bible. I went and dug through her stuff. I pulled that out because I wanted to know what John 3.16 said. So he looked at it. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life, right? He said, that intrigued me. I began to think about that. I wanted to know more about that. He said, so I read the whole Gospel of John. He said, after I read the whole Gospel of John, it was very interesting. So I read the whole Gospel of Matthew. And then I read the whole Gospel of Mark. I read the whole Gospel of Luke. He said, right there on my own, reading the Bible by myself, I prayed and asked Jesus to be my Savior, and I'm a believer. What I'm trying to say to you is God is not bound by our limitations. Every preacher's preached a message, and they thought, man, I just blew it. I should have said this, and I should have said that, and why did I say that? We've all knocked on somebody's door, or we've set up an appointment to talk to our loved one, and we've tried to share the gospel, and we stuttered and mumbled and bumbled through it, and we we think, I said all the wrong things, and maybe you even shared your faith with somebody and made them mad. And you thought, oh, great. I mean, listen, I'm just telling you, in this text, you see that some got saved because a preacher was preaching. Some got saved because a friend shared their faith with somebody else. And some got saved just because God was working in their life and doing things that you and I could have never done anyway. And the whole point I'm trying to make as I wrap this thing up is it doesn't matter how you got saved, by whom you got saved, where you got saved, when you got saved. The question is, are you saved? And I know where I'm at on a Sunday morning, and I know this church enough to know that the majority of the people that I'm preaching to, you haven't saved. But it's like I said at the beginning, I believe that we would have a little bit of revival in this church if everybody would, this morning, I mean, I'm talking about everybody in here, would just be a little bit more happy that you're saved. That you would walk down memories lane a little bit. Whoa. You'd walk down memories lane a little bit 
And you would just say, hey, look, I remember when I got saved. I remember when I was sitting in that service and I fell under conviction. I remember when that guy stood in my living room and shared the guy. I thought he was a little nutty, but he opened up the Bible and I believed that. And it changed my life. I, hey, I remember where I was and what happened in my life. Listen, if you would get excited about that again, this church would have revival. And I believe that we would impact the community in which you're ministering. Let me just ask you some questions. Every time I preach, I like to ask some questions. Here's my first question. Are you saved? I'd imagine there's somebody sitting here today and you're saying, you keep saying saved. What are you talking about? What do you mean saved? I mean you're saved from sin. You're saved from hell. You're going to heaven when you die. Your sins are forgiven. I like to ask it this way. If you died today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? There's probably somebody sitting here going, I don't know what it means to be saved. Saved. Hmm. Some might be sitting there thinking, well, I hope I go to heaven. I thought I was. But I don't know that I am. I got good news for you. You can know that today. I would imagine I'm, I'm speaking to some and I say, are you saved? And you're like, absolutely, I know it. Do you remember the time? Do you remember the place? Do you remember the joy that filled your heart when you got saved? Do you remember that burden that was lifted up off of you? Do you remember some of you, the tears rolling down your face? Do you remember how good it felt? The sad truth is that some of us got over that a long time ago. That's what a revival meeting's all about. Don't get over it. Be like John. Oh, I'll never forget. It was about the 10th hour. On that very day, I'll never forget it. On the heels of that, are you thankful for the way you were saved? I mean it. You got enough room there. You can maybe make an altar out of the seat you're sitting in, or you can come fill this altar out and just get down on your, on your old knees and just say, oh God, I want to thank you for that preacher that was faithful to preach. I recently found out Don Short passed away earlier this year. Oh, I wish I could sit across the seat from him and just say, thank you. Thank you. I'm a life that was impacted because of your ministry. Because every, every preacher at some point has thought that their labor was in vain. I want to say to you this morning, no matter the method, whether it was a personal soul winner, a preacher, some providential act in your life, no matter the method, it was a miracle that you got saved. And you ought to be thankful for it. My final question is this. Are you working so that others can come and see? If it's truly gripped and got a hold of your life, then, man, you want other people to see what you've seen. Well, they might reject it. I understand that. But, but wouldn't you want somebody else's life to be impacted the way your life has been impacted by the gospel? Yeah, absolutely. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. Thank you for your good attention. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. The reason I do that is because I don't want to embarrass anybody. I don't want to make anybody feel, feel uncomfortable in any way. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, how many would say this, preacher, if I died right now, I do not know that I'd go to heaven. I do not know that I'm saved and my sins are forgiven. I do not know that in my life. Would you raise your hand? Listen, I don't want to embarrass you. I don't want to call you out. I, I promise I wouldn't do that. I just want to help you the way a preacher helped me. Is there anybody like that? Would you raise your hand? Okay. How many would say this, preacher, I know I'm saved. There's no doubt about it. I know. Would you raise your hand as a testimony of that? Big and high, big and high. Come on, come on. That's great. You can put your hands down. Are you thankful for it? 
How many say, preacher, you're right. I was sitting in a service and I heard the preacher preach the gospel. I was sitting in a junior church and some teacher was teaching the gospel. I was at a Bible school and somebody was preaching the gospel and that's when I got saved. Would you raise your hand if that's kind of your testimony? You heard a preacher preaching? Yeah, yeah, great. How many of you can put your hands down? How many of you say this, preacher, I, somebody came by my house. Somebody sat in my living room. Somebody sat across a lunch table. Somebody cared enough about me not to leave me alone and they shared the gospel with me. How many feel that way today? That, that's your testimony. Raise your hand. That's wonderful. A lot of hands. It's wonderful. I don't care how you got saved, it's a miracle. No sinner like me and no sinner like you should ever be saved. None of us have the right to stand in the presence of a holy God, but Jesus became our ladder. Man, are you thankful for it. Let's stand together. Our friend's going to play on the piano. Why don't you come? Many are already at the altar thanking the Lord for their salvation. Why don't you come? Why don't you ask the Lord? Go ahead and play something on the piano there, and let's talk to the Lord this morning. And friend, maybe you felt a little uncomfortable. You thought, now. No, I didn't want to raise my hand. I don't want to talk to anybody. But you know what, Brother Wally, the pastor, some of the staff, other people will be around. And friend, if you want to know more about it, say, hey, what was that preacher talking about? Catch me after the service. I want to share with you what Jesus has done in my life. Let's make sure that we're sharing. How many of your heads bowed and eyes closed right now? How many of you say, preacher, I know somebody, the Holy Spirit's putting their name on my heart right now. I know somebody that needs to be saved. They need to hear the gospel like you were preaching about today. And I'm thinking about them right now. Would you raise your hand big and high? Yeah, you might be the conduit that brings them to Christ. Maybe you'd care enough to invite them to this meeting. Maybe you care enough just to schedule lunch with them. Maybe you're just so overwhelmed about the fact that you're saved that it motivates you to do something for them. I pray the Lord will help us today and bring revival in our hearts.